and welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Walter Lukashensky. Before I do toss it over to Wally, I want you guys to know this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. And make sure to use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that order as well as free shipping. Wally, Super Wild Card Weekend is done with. We got the divisional round here coming up. But before we jump in, how was your weekend, you miserable fuck? I'm actually doing great, Steven. Uh, I've been going to the gym. Jim Wally's back, so you'll get updates there. Just finished. You're le- just doing stress walking on the treadmill. That's not the gym. You're Don't know what you're walking. talking about. Just finished Letterkenny for like the 115th time. The Penguins are hot. Hockey's the greatest sport in the world. What reason do I have to be upset, Steven? Things are great. Well, over here on this world, things are looking good. My team wasn't able to play, but found out the team that we are playing this week. <laughs> and am I fucking mad at who we have to line up against, which we will get to eventually here in the gambling section. I had a great weekend filled with football, filled with wings. So I can't complain. And I got to, uh, meanwhile, I didn't text as much as we wanted to. Let him have his space. He's playing hard to get. And the reason... I was giving him his space. It's the first game of the Super Wild Card weekend. No NASCAR, no Hair of the Dog this week. We're getting straight down to the games because everyone wants to talk about it. The Bengals rip out my co-host Wally's heart in Cincinnati's first playoff win in 31 years. You guys do the quick math. That's probably longer than most of our listeners, if not all of our listeners, which is kind of crazy to think about. Raiders had a little bit of a comeback, but Derek Carr throws an interception at the goal line to seal the victory for Cincinnati. Derek Carr with 54 pass attempts at 310 yards, a touchdown and that interception, and adding one fumble while Joey B continues his tear. 244 yards, two touchdowns, and you know Jamar Chase went off with nine receptions for 116 and even adding 23 rushing yards. This was a close game, it felt like, but... The Raiders just could never get over that hump of tying or potentially taking the lead. Wally, I'm sure your father is very happy amongst the rest of your family members here. But I don't care about that. How are you? See, this is the first I'm hearing of this game. I hadn't looked uh, at the rundown until before, so this is cool. Good for Bengals fans. Uh, Bummer for Raiders fans out there, if there are any. But like I said, uh, boring game. Nothing really to talk about here, so whatever, you know. Good, good for the Bengals, I guess. I... What about the whistle for the referees, Wally? What about that play, Are Wally? Are we doing the whistles right out of the gate? We don't even get to warm up into this. Okay. All right. Well, so for the whistle. Uh, okay. Mm. I have been... How do I want to word this? I'm you in guys pain. can't see him. Literal tears are streaming down his face. As It's okay, man. It's just a podcast. You can edit this out. You don't have to... You don't have to talk all whimpery. It's okay. See, I don't, I wish I had tears to cry. I am, I literally, I am as dejected right now. Is, I told Steven, ironically, two days ago, I love football differently after this season than I did before. It, I just, it's a job now. I feel miserable watching this. And especially with what's happened since. Well, we'll get into that after. First of all, on the whistle. I want to be clear. I don't even believe that the whistle had an effect on what the play should have been. I do believe Jamar Chase should have caught that touchdown pass. Joe Burrow clearly was in bounds. Whistle came early. What bothers me is that it is a rule. It's not a gray area rule. It is a black and white rule. If the whistle blows and there's even, uh, like, if, if it happens before the touchdown is caught, the play doesn't happen. Now, if you want to talk about whether or not that's a good rule, fine. That's another discussion. But it is, is a rule. It is a rule. It is black and white. It is a rule. Therefore, that touchdown should have been replayed. Who knows what happens after that? Thank God for everybody that drama's kind of avoided because the Raiders are able to go down and score a touchdown before the half. So it kind of nullified the meaning a little bit. But yeah, naturally, Raider fans are upset because this is a team that leads the league or top five in penalties almost every single year, have been forever. Al Davis, we all know the storied history with him and the Raiders and the NFL and the animosity between the two. We know the tuck rule. I have a friend sending me a picture of this being like, oh, are you guys going to bitch about the tuck rule or the whistle gate or whatever for the next 20 years? 
You know, that's awesome to hear from you when you have nothing like this. And especially when you know the Bengals fans, they were the same one bitching about the Steelers after 2015 and after 2005 and Kimo Van Olhoff had rolled up on Carson Palmer. You don't get it both ways. You get... This is what being a fan is. You get to be upset when things go against you. And yeah, I'm pissed off. I'm not pissed off because I think it would have probably changed the outcome of a game. It just... I'm pissed off because it is yet another example of refereeing of the NFL not being able to get black and white rules right. When they got together, the whistle, that should have been it. Because everybody in God's green earth knew that that ball did not get caught before the whistle was blown. Again, I don't think it would have affected the play, but then get rid of the rule. Don't have a rule and just not enforce it. I mean, okay, am I crazy? I want to hear your thoughts on the whistle before I go on anything else. Did you... Again, I, any thoughts at all? Well, I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head on this. I definitely, everything's perfect. Let's start from the bot, the top of the totem pole and kind of work its way down. Is that whistle potentially changing that play? No, I think it's so late in that play that the whistle didn't really affect. The ball is out of Joe, Joe Burrow's hands. Yes, the whistle blew. I don't think that it was going to affect that play. A lot of the people are saying that that corner, that safety over there, oh, he stopped. It did look like he stopped, but more or less like he looked like he stopped because he was beat. But to Wally's point, if that's the rule, I don't care if, you know, if that is not affecting the play. If maybe, you know, that whistle stopped the DB. Because it didn't. But the, the fact of the matter is, the rule says, if there is a whistle in the middle of a play like that, you have to scrap the play, replay the down. Maybe Joe Burrow just throws another touchdown. Maybe the Raiders get a pick six and completely change the game. Maybe they settle for a field goal, Cincinnati. Maybe the Raiders block that field goal and change momentum. These are the calls that we hate. These are because we never want the refs to hold the fate of the game in their hands, which we're, <laughs> we will get to. Unfortunately, this is not the first of a lot of the referees fucking up this weekend. But you got to replay the down. It is a blatant rule that everyone knows. And what's even worse about what Wally's saying of getting black and white. It seems like every single year, there's a new rule that is under the microscope. If it's the, what's a catch? That was the question for about a three to five year stand. There were backup refs on the field this weekend. They had replacement refs on the field for these super wildcard games. So they can have faster communications for the refs to explain to the head coach. It's a nice little chain reaction that they have going down, and you still get it wrong. You have a camera in every side of the angle, like your fucking George Orwell in 1984, and we're not utilizing it. You're preaching to the choir about getting about getting screwed over on calls. I feel like Green Bay Packers have it a lot, yet we get Green Bay gets scrutinized a lot when when we have calls go our way. That's besides the point. This is Wally's problem. I'm not making it mine. You, you got to play by the rules. And I'm a, I'm a big guy. It's like, okay, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that completely changed the game. And if, and if they replayed that down, that Vegas was going to win or take control. I'm definitely not saying that. Can the game be different because of that? Absolutely. And that's where you draw the line. In a game where we're trying to make it so perfect with so many cameras, with so different angles, with officials that are watching the game, that are up in New York, they're up in the stands, it's... There's no excuse to get a single call wrong, let alone a call like this that is so clear in the books that if there's an inadvertent whistle in the middle of a play, you scrap it. That's literally like if Joe Burrow just threw a touchdown pass, penalties on both sides of the ball, but they're like, eh, fuck it. It was actually a nice throw. We're just going to give Joe Burrow the touchdown, even though you know you're supposed to replay the down. It's inexcusable. The NFL has already came out and said those refs are not going to be any part of any playoff game moving forward, at least for this year. Personally, you got to fucking fire those dudes. Yes. Okay, the fail Mary, yeah, we can all joke about that. Okay, the missed P.I. call in the Rams-Saints game a couple years ago, that's really bad, but okay. This? You're blowing a whistle in the middle of a play in the most dangerous sport to blow a whistle mid-play in, and you're not going to do anything about it? Again, I'm not sitting here. I'm not sitting here saying the Raiders are going to go over to Kansas City because of, you know, if it if that whistle never happened, the Raiders are going will be the ones going to Kansas City. Absolutely not. The NFL's got to get something right, and they've someone someone has got to get the blame, and they've got to act 
that main ref who blew the whistle. Well, and first of all, it's like you said. I, I don't. I'm not saying that this changes the game at all. I think the Bengals are a better team. I think the Bengals would win. I like this Bengals team. What this is is this is an NFL officiating problem. And regardless of what people want to believe, I get that this isn't what Bengal fans like. We're like sour grape Raider fans. Blah blah blah. This is the rule. It's simple as that. I'm leaving it at that. To other points of the and now, you know, one more thing. That ref, and I had a few adult pops during the game on Saturday, so maybe I'm getting this wrong, but that ref that blew the whistle early, I'm pretty sure was either a member of the crew that called or didn't call the PI call on the Saints-Rams game a few years ago, or he was the direct ref that threw the flag. You guys will have to figure that out because I'm an idiot and probably should have double-checked before I came on. But that just goes to show how deep-rooted the problem is in this league. There's not enough guys... In, because they're independent contractors, the NFL can only hold them so accountable. Now, I don't think that he was a part of that officiating crew. We have to double check. He definitely was a part of the Cincinnati minus five and a half. That's all I got to say. He definitely was a, a part of that crew, and that's no joke about that. But the, the, the moral of this story, for Raiders fans anyways, is it was the little things, as it's been all year, that have killed this team. Special teams blunder. Looks like you're going to get the ball at the 35 on that second drive. Instead, guy fields it at the two and then steps out of bounds. Game really kind of spiraled for a little bit. Took a little while for the Raiders to get back under them. You had the strip sack that led the Bengals down to, what, the 15-yard line on then the third drive for the Raiders. And then both teams, for both teams, settling for field goals in this game. There were eight field goals, four from each. Either team had a chance to really take this game by the reins. And honestly, neither team did. The Bengals had a chance to end this game third down, right outside the two-minute warning, and I was so amazed that they didn't sack up and throw the ball with Joe Burrow. He's what's got you there. This passing offense is what got you there. Instead, you give Derek Carr, however your feelings are about him, a guy that has proven to be clutch in the last two minutes of games his entire career. It looked like it almost bit him in the ass. I mean, one last thing about in-game. Both of these guys had throws over the middle of the field that are elite of elite throws. 25-yard, literally razor-thin spots. Derek Carr's coming on that final drive. I won't pretend to you when Darren Waller caught the ball inside the 20. I really believe they'd score, and that's when it would have been fun because I really do think that Rich Bisakia would have went for two and the win. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, and even more unfortunately, following the game, I'm sure everybody at home is aware by now, Mike Mayock was let go. Points to the signs that Rich Bisakia is gone which then also means what's up with Derek Carr. Miserable nine months coming, Stephen. He's got one year left on his contract, Derek Carr. You know, I've been seeing a lot of things, and I don't know if I want to sink my teeth into it. Derek Carr to the Colts rumors, though. That would not be bad. He's got a, he'll have a better running back, a better O-line, uh, probably the same wide receiver problems. He probably has wor- He actually will have worse wide receivers than he does on his Raiders team. So this head coaching prospect that's going to be coming in or hired is going to be a huge deciding factor on if Derek Carr is going to stay, maybe possibly be extended, or maybe he's going to see his way out, if not this offseason, clearly the next offseason when he's a 100% unrestricted free agent. I think the obvious big key is who is going to be the head coach, and that's going to really carry a lot of the weight right now, whether it be Jim Harbaugh, Doug Peterson, whoever. We'll get to that, though, here in the coming weeks. For right now, we're talking about Teams that are in the playoffs, and the Bills are still very much in the playoffs. They dominated New England this last weekend at Orchard Park. And holy shit, Steven, the Bills become the first team in NFL history to pitch a perfect game effectively on offense. Seven touchdowns on seven offensive possessions. No negative plays until Mitch Trubisky's kneel downs to end this game. What can you really say other than this was a complete game in every sense of the word? Josh Allen had five touchdowns and four incompletions. 21 and 25, 308, add 66 rushing yards. Took a couple, uh, took some ankles with him on the way during some of those rushing yards. Seven straight possessions. And you expect a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones to keep up with this? The Patriots never stood a chance. The Bills were on fire. The Pats have had a had a target on their back with the Bills eyeing them down since that insane wind game where Mac Jones only threw the ball three times. They racked up just, you know, just a little bit under 300 rushing yards and the, and the bills lost to him. Again, I keep saying this reference, but Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer have been remembering 
And I want to see that clip if, if they got to run into those press conference members, the those members of the media that originally asked their questions about how embarrassed they were about the, the first matchup between the Bills, between the Patriots. Now they're getting the last laugh. Josh Allen, is he's looking nice. But like I said, pass never stood a chance. Shout out to Buffalo's defense, who only allowed New England to average five yards per play, turn the ball over twice, sacked them three times. Here's also a fun fact. With the seven touchdown possessions that the Buffalo had, they had seven third downs. They had seven third downs throughout the game. They converted six of them, but seven third downs. This Buffalo team, they're looking good. The one failed third down conversion was, again, a kneel down later in the game. And that's the only third down conversion this team didn't get. It was a so, perfect game. So they, so they had so they had six third downs, six real third downs. And they went six for six. Six third downs. That's double the amount of passes Mac Jones had in the first matchup. Which I was only three if you guys can't do quick math. Is this Bill Teams, Wally? Finally going to get it together. Led by my guy, Josh Allen. Are you ready to tell me that he is the quarterback that I've been praising and you've been hating? He's finally there. He's ascended. Yeah, this next week's going to be awesome. Because that Chiefs-Bills game is basically just turning into my champion versus your champion. Like, we feel like the little Danzel's in distress while they're, the Knights are fighting us right now. Oh, oh, save me, Mr. <laughs> strongman. Exactly. That's exactly what we are, basically. And I think my strongman's going to beat your strongman. So later in this episode, we're going to have to talk about potentially a bet when we get to the gambling. You're right. I, I will say this. That the winner of that game next week, I do think, is going to represent the AFC. And <laughs> it could be either team. This feels really, really important. I was going to save this actually for opening up for the gambling. But this is where the this is where it, it is so important to win your games in a regular season. If the Bills had simply beaten the Jacksonville Jaguars this year, this game would be at Orchard Park against the Chiefs instead of going to Arrowhead. And the fact that that is a, like the Jaguars, they're at home right now. Urban Meyer is having two. a direct effect on this year. Not one, but two teams that they fucked over in the playoffs. Well, Colts not even getting them in, and now the Bills the home field advantage. God, just when you thought regular season didn't count, this is why the NFL is the best. Because even games against fucking Jacksonville matter. Hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously, but look at them now. Championship runs through Duval, even if they aren't ever going to make it there themselves. No, the last thing I do want to say on this game, though, you could spend days looking at this box score, looking at the play-by-play in this game. You'll never see something like this. It's so unprecedented that a team has a game like this at all facets of the game, too. So, so not only, it's also good for Buffalo because it happened against the Patriots. That felt like 20 years of frustration being let out over the course of three and a half hours on Saturday night. And there's not really a fan base out there that deserves it more than Buffalo. They definitely deserve it. I'm happy for them. And who knows, you might get a Bengals-Bills AFC title game between two of the the more hungry and fan bases that haven't exactly had anything to root for in the last decade and a half. They were in the freaking Super Bowl. I guess, oh my God, we're old. Yeah, and they didn't do shit and they lost all four of them that they went to. They were okay, like early 2000s when they had Bledsoe, like what, a year and a half, two years, but they haven't really been relevant. They've always just been, yeah, that's New England's division, sprinkle in, you know, the Jets when they want to be relevant under Rex Ryan, or, you know, they had a couple years there, and and then you toss it over to Miami, who was kind of hit or miss, Adam Gase brought him to the playoffs a couple times. Brian Flores had them playing well here. But Buffalo just hasn't been that team the past 30 years. And, and to your point, obviously, the Bengals just won their first playoff game in 31 with a lot of attempts during that. It might be the old uh, turntables happening uh, on that side. I agree, Wally. It just goes to show for both of the teams there that quarterback play, it is the end-all, be-all in the NFL. There's no quicker way to kill that like slump, kill that drought, than having a quarterback like Joe Burrow or Josh Allen. But that's all I got on this game, Steven. Feel free to throw us into the Bucks Eagles game. You said it, Bucks Eagles. 
Uh, probably the most boring game here that we had on the Super Wild Card Weekend. We were expecting a little bit closer of a game, but the Bucks cruise to win against the Eagles. Tampa Bay holds the number one rushing offense to 95 yards. This is a rushing offense that was averaging 160 yards throughout the season, just a little bit shy of 200 over the last eight games, eight or nine games of that season once they really started getting it rolling. Jalen Hurts with two turnovers, and Tom Brady was on point. He was picking apart this defense, this secondary. And it's not like Philly didn't have a chance. Offensively, they just couldn't get anything going. Defensively, at one point in the first half, they did hold Tom Brady to three straight third-down sacks, only for their offense in Philadelphia not to do anything or turn that into any points. Philly had four of those sacks. All four of their sacks came on third down. Three in that first half, one that did not matter in the second half. And we clearly know that the de- the defensive line, and even that front seven of Tampa Bay getting back healthy with Shaq Barrett, Levante David, definitely shows. And all of a sudden, that Tampa Bay defense is showing the little flashes of what they were looking like last year on that Super Bowl run. The Eagles ran 10 offensive plays in this game before it got to 17-0. And that's where you were talking about where they hit their little bit of a law, and I'll get to that here in a second. But that was so critical in this game. We went in talking about how it was important for Philly to stay close because they did not want to abandon what they do. I really didn't think even if they went down 17-0, they would give up on the run. And I was wrong. They ran it 10 times with running backs in this game. Period. Only two of those came before it was 17-0. I understand it's hard to stay balanced once you fall down like that. But this is your identity. This is the... Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady, you're not going to beat them by doing something that you're not good at. <laughs> it's something that has been proven you're not good at early in this year. I mean, the Buccaneers were the Bills game away from the best performance all wild card weekend. Very boring, like you said. Perfect game plan by Bruce Arians and executed even better. But you were so right. It's not like this was a game that the Eagles couldn't get back into. They fall down 17-0 very fast in this game. And you have four straight drives there, either at the end of the half or to start the half. Even coming out of the break, Sirianni in this offense didn't really provide too much talent or or, or opposition, I guess, for the Buccaneers, which is so disappointing because I know you guys know my feelings on Philly as a whole. But I was actually texting my buddy earlier. He was an Eagles fan. I am, like, really liking this roster. And you watch them draft a guy like Tyler Lindenbaum this next year and watch me all but start saying you was an eating cheesesteaks. I'm ready for it. And I'm ready to see them again next year. But that is next year. The Buccaneers, all the credit to them. Tom Brady, guy just keeps doing it. And he's doing this without Godwin. He's doing it without AB. This is much more like the teams that Jameis Winston was looking with a few years ago than the team that Brady was throwing to last year. But it's still at the end of the day, it's Tom Brady And because of that, there's not a team in the NFL, I think, that you could rule them out that they can beat any given Sunday. We we praise Tom Brady for doing so much with less over his duration of his, you know, over the duration of his career up in New England. Yeah, it's like we forget over the past year and a half since he had a loaded roster. It's like, oh, he's given too much. And now we're like, yeah, he doesn't have enough. This is what he made his whole career on. It's arguably his most dangerous. He's gonna be a problem. It's Tom Brady in the playoffs, and I feel soon enough that I'll just be an honorary AFC member because I'm just going to end up hating Tom Brady because I think he's going to be ripping hearts out at least for the next decade because the dude's a fucking robot. Not literally, maybe like another three to four years, but that's enough for me. This week's recap segment is brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding, high-end photography, fashion, advertising, and more. Especially if you are at me and Wally's age, or college graduations, engagements, weddings, baby pictures, you name it. Feels like they're happening every weekend. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself on abbyturnerphoto.com or on her Instagram at Sawdad and Sapphire. Again, abbyturnerphoto.com. The next game that we have here, the San Francisco 49ers upset the Dallas Cowboys in Jerry World 23-17. Eliza Mitchell and Debo Samuel combining for 167 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Jimmy G looking a little bit rough for 172 yards and interceptions and one interception. But that defense for the Niners came to play. One interception holding Dallas to 36% on the third downs. 
five sacks, on top of that holding their rushing attack to just 77 yards. If the Cowboys aren't rushing for over 100 yards, they're losing the game. This is how you beat them. Dallas just couldn't stop shooting themselves in the foot, though. They set a new team postseason record with 14 penalties in this game. And honestly, they could have set it easily because San Francisco declined a couple holding penalties or late just for field position and to, to put Dallas up there in the corner. The offensive line was getting worked all day for Dallas. A lot of holdings. We had an illegal man downfield. Hell, they even had a couple defensive holdings on their defensive line. Mike McCarthy, you have got to be better. How your head is not in a guillotine right there, led by Jerry Jones with his little black mask that he has on, is beyond me. Fuck Mike McCarthy, though. I really kind of enjoyed watching that lazy-eyed fuck lose. Of course, the play call, though. 14 seconds left. Dallas is driving to be able to win the game. The play call with 14 seconds left and no timeouts, that's a quarterback draw. And we want to talk about the refs messing it up. Dak goes down there. He slides. He tries to get the ball set up. The ref has to come in and touch it, respot it where he originally thinks it is. He runs into the center, and it's a Dak. It turns into a clusterfuck. Next thing you know, it is raining. Empty beer bottles, popcorn, whatever you can find in Jerry World being thrown at the refs. But, Wally, are the refs at fault here? Or is this actually McCarthy's fault? Okay, that's a great question because there is blame everywhere. And I'll start with the refs because, again, it's the hot-button topic way too often in the NFL, but it was the story of Wild Card Weekend since we really didn't have all that many good games. This referee here, he does what he's supposed to do. He gets there as fast as he can. Was he as agile getting around that offensive lineman? No. The part that made me a little annoyed was that it was a hard-o move for him to pick the ball up and move it back a full like foot and a half, two feet. So the center's like going between his legs to get the ball just to bring it up to exactly the same spot he had it at before. I, I just don't like that rule. I feel like it's kind of close to the delay of game in for, where if a defensive lineman like lays on a pile or something. I almost feel like if the referee feels that the game or there should have been an opportunity to snap, they should be able to put time back on the clock but again, it's a gray area thing, and it's as simple. If you don't want to be talking about this, you don't call a draw play with 14 seconds left with no timeouts. All you did is take two shots from the 40 to the end zone away. Instead, you're looking at, at best, one from the 24. Is it really worth that risk? I don't believe so. I understand with 25 yards, you're putting DBs in much more of a normal coverage situation opposed to just sitting back and playing home run defense, but you don't have a lot of choices at the end of the game. I understand with the way they had that defense. Really, really interesting too. The 49ers had all their DBs almost stacked up about every 12, 13 yards on the sidelines, left the middle of the field wide open, which is called the draw. Why not have a seam route and basically just throw a ball towards the goalpost and hope to God your guy gets there, especially a guy like CeeDee Lamb. But to McCarthy, I was wondering, and I want you to answer this too. When you look at this roster, you have a good quarterback. I don't think Dak's anything better than good. And I think that his anger was misplaced also because I think he's frustrated himself with his team's performance and his own performance. But you have a decent running back tandem. You have good wide receivers, a solid tight end, your worst line in a long time, I'll give you that. But also your best defense that the Cowboys have had probably in 10, 15 years. Where does this team, the roster, actually improve? Because to me, the roster's not the problem. And if the roster's not the problem, we all know who is. And you know better than anybody in the world is Packer fans. McCarthy is not it. The fact that he did his, what, press conference after getting hired and immediately said, yeah, dude, I lied about my credentials, just wanted the job. That should have been it. We should have known even from that moment on, nothing has changed. This is the Mike McCarthy we are used to. It's not getting better. And bringing him back next year, we'll see in the first week of January next year too, Dallas, the same shit's going to happen again. Good. I want it to continue happening to Dallas. I'm not like a huge Stephen A. Smith guy, but I do enjoy watching him hysterically laugh at the misery that the Dallas Cowboys fans have to deal with year in and year out. 
But he actually made a really good point. I don't want to like try to take him and make him my own point. But he's like, you know what? This year is different, though. I haven't heard any of my Cowboys friends saying, well, we'll win it next year. Not yet, though. I love watching Dallas lose. I mean, now it's because Mike McCarthy, Jerry, Jerry Jones is hilarious. Watch the South Park episode. My eyes aren't too big. My eyes aren't my eyes aren't bulging out of my head. If y'all watch that, you can you will never be able to look at Jerry Jones the same. And on top of that, their fans are miserable. They live in the past. Most of them were never even fucking alive from when they were relevant. They always have an excuse. And then it's always next year. It's always next year. Hey, you can't take next year away from all of us loser team fans. That's all we have, Steven. They're the epitome of my New Year's resolution is to go to the gym and lose weight. It's January 2nd. Mm, next year is going to be my year. You're just a shitty New Year's resolution, Dallas Cowboys. And I love watching you make premature exits in the playoffs. All right, I think we're done beating up the Cowboys, which is good. We can beat up on their 90s rival here in the Pittsburgh Steelers a little bit. Your anti-team, my, I guess, champion, my battle-by-combat team, the Kansas City Chiefs, they looked like shit for the first quarter of that game against the Steelers, but then they looked much more like the Buffalo Bills in that second, third, and fourth, setting up for a really big matchup. But let's focus first on this one here. It was Big Ben's, we're assuming, final game of his career. And at that point, it's a Hall of Fame career. Good for him for at least getting into the postseason one more time. In 10 years, people won't remember these final few years the way that they will remember the first 15. With that being said, the Chiefs win this game 42-21. to The Steelers had to punt seven straight drives to start the game and then fumbled on their eighth drive. Once the Steelers actually took the lead in this game, it was ironically the point the Chiefs took over. T.J. Watt scores on that fumble by, I think, Mecole Hardman, if I remember right. He returns it for a touchdown. They go up 7-0. All of a sudden, it's the second quarter, and we're sitting here. Oh, shit. Are the Steelers going to make this a football game? The Chiefs then rattle off six straight touchdown drives. Steelers offense, no answer. Steelers defense, no answer. There's not much to really take away, I think, from this game. I think what we found out is the Steelers really were a team that didn't deserve to be in the postseason. But with the expansion, seven teams have to get in, and they just happen to. What do you make of this Chiefs team going into the Bills matchup? Were you at least impressed with the way this team responded in the second quarter? Or is the slow start something that's sticking with you a little bit more? No, because usually they they will start, you know, the slow start has been normal, what it feels like this year. They'll put up some points, but then it gets very stagnant. They plateau during the second half. So this looks like the Kansas City team of old. I'm not I'm not overly impressed in what their defense can do. Good job. You, you whooped up on Big Ben, who hasn't been able to throw a 20-yard slant across the middle since week six. Like, awesome. Chase Claypool, joke. Oh, but Juju Smith-Schuster was back? Yeah, right. The offensive line is a joke, and Kansas City had – every single player, every position ready to exploit whatever deficiencies the Steelers had, which are clearly a lot. I was clearly wrong about the the Steelers 12 and a half. The only thing I can grasp I was right about this game is they didn't get beat as bad uh, as the first time around. I, I said it's pretty hard to beat, a, beat an opponent that bad twice in a row. Well, Kansas City almost did it. Pat Mahomes, five touchdowns. He had one interception on a freak play by TJ Watt. You know, it came, it was almost coming to fruition when I was like, if the Steelers need to be competitive in this game, it's going to be because of TJ Watt literally being a one man army on defense. That first quarter, he was. And then after that, he was just regular old TJ Watt who just tied Michael Strahan's single season sack record at 22 and a half. Just, just that guy. Unfortunately, the my foot is all the way back in my mouth. The Chiefs are awesome. They're looking good. They're back. I still don't trust their defense fully, but that offense is looking not as explosive as we're used to, but they're definitely getting it up there. I just think over the past two years, their offense are having that Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, LeBron James-esque feel where it's like, yeah, I know you're a pretty explosive offense, but this is what you've done in the past, so this is the standard. We'll see if they can make it past here this Sunday. They're winning this weekend. They're representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. I tell you what, though, a player that had a great game, that stats might not necessarily jump out at you, but if you watched it, you felt his impact, was Jarek McKinnon. 
And he kind of had that impact and unlocked this offense in a very similar way that Damian Williams did in 2019. They're not going to do anything crazy. They're, they're 60 yards a game on the ground. Probably three or four catches out of the backfield. 30 yards kind of guys. I know his stats were a little higher this last week, but you know what I'm saying. If you can just do that, if you can convince the defense that there is a threat to run the ball, then all of a sudden this passing offense goes to another level. You can't bracket Tyreek Hill. You can't double Travis Kelsey and then take away the run. Like You just can't do it. And that's a massive, massive, I guess, performance from him. And they're going to be looking for the exact same one, if not a better one, against the Bills. Because you're going to have to be balanced to win that game. And that goes for both teams. The Arizona Cardinals are finally done being streaky because they got their ass handed to them 34 to 11 at SoFi in their first playoff game. And Matt Stafford's first playoff win as an LA Ram and just in general in his whole career. Matt Stafford's still not really putting up crazy numbers. He had 202, two touchdowns. Kyler looking horrible. This whole Arizona Cardinals team is looking horrible. And Kyler just threw the shortest pick six in the history of the NFL, which is funny because, you know, the whole Kyler being extremely short for the quarterback position, you see how that kind of works out. The the jokes sometimes just simply write themselves, Wally. But was that the shortest in regular season and playoff history? I, saw I, like, playoff I had history. no idea about that stat. That is crazy. While you're looking that up right now, I'll comment on a couple things here too where – I mean, we give guys a pass a lot of times when they have a bad game, and Kyler Murray had a bad game. But when it becomes a bit of a trend, that's when you get a little bit more critical. It's when you get into the Lamar Jacksons. It's when you get into the Kirk Cousins, Derek Carrs. The guys, it's like, hey, you know what? You can be good when things are working, but how do you look when things aren't? When you lose DeAndre Hopkins, this offense just completely froze up this year. They went from being a Super Bowl contender to the constant, everybody's saying it, we're saying it, the 2020 Pittsburgh Steelers. You start the season hot, you have all these giant names, and then all of a sudden you hit a wall, teams figure you out, and you aren't able to adjust. It's a major reflection on Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, God, this this was just so brutal. 19 of 34, 137 yards, two interceptions. Credit to Matthew Stafford, though, and good for him. Guy put in his dues in Detroit beyond what I mean words. I mean, the fact that if you can survive Detroit and get out, good for you. And that's no disrespect to your buddy Kyle Butson and all the Lions fans out there. It's all right. They're from Toledo. Don't worry. We all know Detroit's kind of trashy. <laughs> hey, medical weed, legal weed, though. Shout out to Glass Jar. Hooked me up on my drive back from Green Bay. Hey, no free ads. But anyways. <laughs> anyways. I know a guy. <laughs> Oh, God. So, anyway, yeah, I, it, this was an ass-kicking. This was kind of the story all weekend of the six games. You had three blowouts. You had the Bills scoring every single drive they had against the Patriots. You had the Eagles fall behind 31-0 to the Bucks, And then the Rams were up 24-0. And it really didn't even feel that close. They did score a couple late to make it look better. But the offense for Arizona in this game, 100 and, what, 183 yards, and that's with garbage time. I don't know where you even begin to reflect on this year because it felt so high six, seven weeks ago even. Even with a little, like even the Lions game, when you lose that game, we were like, yeah, you know what, they're falling, but if this team gets hot, they can really be a scare for somebody out there. They didn't figure it out. That was actually the lowest, or the turning point of the year. That was their first loss on the road. They went 7-1. and one or 8-1, and one, I think, actually, on the road this year because I think they had the extra road game before losing in the playoffs on the road, too. I, I don't. I mean, I know I'm talking in circles here, but just what do you say? This is less about the Rams for me and much more about the deficiencies of the Cardinals. I don't think either, you know, I, I wasn't thinking that either of these teams were going to be the representatives of the NFC coming into it. So I wasn't really had to, I didn't really have that many eyes on here. It was more or less of who I wanted uh, my Green Bay Packers to potentially play with San Fran winning. That didn't really matter. The Cardinals though, it's not like they, they're not short of talent. You have JJ Watt coming back from season ending shoulder surgery to be in this game. Embarrassing. 
Hob never was able to get back in that offense. Clearly, he was that guy that just made them tick and then just made them, what's the word I'm looking for, and just allow them to hit on all cylinders. You know, we were expecting guys like Christian Kirk's A.J. Green to really step up, and that just never really happened. I wonder what A.J. Green's future is going to look like. And it's not like your defensive side of the ball isn't talented enough. For Matt Stafford and, you know, what he's been able to do or lack thereof over the last few weeks, for him to hang 27 up on you, two two touchdowns with one rushing touchdown, embarrassment. The L.A. Rams defense is looking better and better by the week, by the play, with more chemistry and more confidence that they're gaining. Rams might be getting a little bit of streaky here. This NFC is going to be a bloodbath here this weekend. It is, and I I think that the Rams are probably going to pose a bigger threat to the Tampa Bay Bucks than I believe they will. They did beat him in week three of this regular season, but I just have the feeling that this Rams team, even though they finished 12-5, and five, it felt like they weren't ever playing their best football this year, or at least when Odell Beckham was there. Feels like they're just a hair off. And if you're a hair off against Tampa Bay, especially on the road, it's not going to end well. And I know that maybe the fact that they got this playoff win, Matt Stafford got this playoff win, it takes a little bit of that pressure off them. And if the pressure is off, maybe we get to see more of the Rams team that we saw early in the year opposed to later. I just don't think it's going to happen. We want to remind you guys that Loss of Down is brought to you by Tabby's.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta-8 THC, that's not a problem. Tabby's offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, Tabby's.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. They are perfect for any time your anxiety is high. I've been battling depression and anxiety for a long time, and it's not a fix. Like, don't get me wrong about that, but it does make me feel much more at ease, hence the name. Whenever I am feeling overwhelmed, I seriously would recommend this, whether they were a sponsor or not. So please go and make sure you follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tab East Co. That is Tab East Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabease.com and with the promo code FOOTBALL, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. And with the kind words and gorgeous voice of Wally, that's going to lead us right into our divisional round predictions, picks, bets. Hopefully get you some money. Wally, how did did us two fare last weekend? What the hell's going on out here? I did pretty well. I went 9-3. Had a pretty good vibe on the week. Stevie went 7-5, and five, so at the very least, at 7-5, you're going to make a little money. If not, you're going to break even. So I'd call that a pretty successful hey, wild card are, weekend. One of those is plus money in the San Francisco money line. There you so go. I, know that help, I, hope, I know that helped you recoup at least one of the units I took away from you. Well, like I said, you went 7-5, and five, especially with one at plus money. There's a very good chance you're looking at a unit up. or Like I said, at the very least, you broke even. You didn't lose money with Steven last week. Hopefully we get more, but we've been pretty good since about Thanksgiving on, Steven. So if there's a time to jump on, four big games this weekend, now's a great time. The first matchup here on Saturday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. The Cincinnati Bengals are traveling to Nashville to face the number one seeded Tennessee Titans, where the Titans are three and a half point favorites in that over-under set at 47. I'm riding with Joe Burrow. I'm riding on the Joe Burrow train right now. This offense has been hot the last month of the season. He's been on fire. Jamar Chase has been insane. They're so talented that all we talk about is Jamar Chase. You still have Tyler Boyd. You still have CJ Uzama, who's been having a pretty decent year. Don't forget about T. Higgins. You got Joe Mixon in the backfield. As long as that offensive line is somewhat decent, that offense can carry you and this team can go far. Now, the Titans have not officially activated Derrick Henry off the list. Derrick Henry's making sure that he's not giving exact dates of when he's going to return. He's like, yeah, I'm feeling good. I hope I can return Saturday. All signs are pointing to most likely Derrick Henry's return here in the divisional round of the playoffs. Say he doesn't, I'm taking the hot Bengals to keep rolling into the AFC Conference Championship here next weekend. 
And if Derrick Henry's in, I'm just going to take the Bengals points with the Tennessee money line. But for now, in the sake of the podcast, fuck it. Cincinnati plus three and a half and their money line in Nashville. Your reason for going with the Bengals is the same reason I have, and it's Joe Burrow. I feel like we're really watching the dawning of a really special player. I don't really even care if Henry's back. The Bengals are going to win this game. I mean, we're seeing the birth of another championship quality franchise right before our eyes as long as he does stay healthy. So since the glory days are starting here and you have a playoff win now, all you Bengals fans can stop bitching for a little bit. That's the last time I'm bitter at you. I promise, probably, the rest of this episode. So I have the Bengals plus three and a half. The money line, this is, I'm telling you, this run defense Look, they kind of got exposed by the Raiders a little bit, but I think that was also because the defense was playing a little softer. They were trying to keep everything in front of them, which is also what led to the four field goals for the Raiders. I think it was actually more of the game plan than anything else. I think they'll be much more stout regardless if it's Derrick Henry or not. So Logan Wilson's my reason why on the defense. Bengals are going to get it done, and I've got a feeling it's going to be like 31-20. Bengals are going to win going away. If there are Bengals fans there, it's going to be a pretty electric atmosphere, and that's going to set up either at Orchard Park or Arrowhead for a chance to get this, the Bengals to play in the Super Bowl. San Francisco, Lambeau Field, a little bit new. It's a dance that we haven't quite seen yet. I'm going to give my pick first and then let you kind of just go off here. I have San Francisco plus six, but I got the Packers money line. Yes, this 49ers team has been the Packers kryptonite for probably the last five, seven, eight, nine years. Yes, I believe Kyle Shanahan may be the best play caller in the NFL. And yes, the Packers have more home playoff losses with six than any other team in the last 20 years in the NFL. But this isn't your ordinary Packers team. They have dudes on both sides of the ball. I get that the 49ers are great at running it, and we know that your run defense hasn't exactly wowed this year. But I can't imagine Joe Barry doesn't have a game plan for that, which means it's likely going to fall on Jimmy Garoppolo to win this game. He's going to have a good statistical day because of all the attention paid to the run. But I'm banking on one or two turnovers that are going to flip the game the Packers' way. Put on the field late. I think the Packers' defense is going to find a way to get a stop and win this game 27-24. to Go Pack, go. Steven, take it away. I did not want Green Bay to play this team, yet here we, here we are. Wally's completely right. Now, not this specific 49ers team or the Kyle Shanahan-led 49ers team, but it's just been a mixture of the the Harbaugh's with with the Kaepernick. And then you add, and now we have this new phase and that defense and what that offense is doing. Now we get this this new age of what this offense and defense are looking like. Now, Green Bay is returning starters to both sides of the ball. We're going to be able to add death with potentially having Darius Smith, who's back in practice, we're adding pass rush depth, as well as Whitney Merciless, who was expected to be out for the remainder of the season with a torn bicep, ended up being able to be cleared and was at practice this past week. There's some more depth at the linebacking position. And then Jari Alexander expected and hopeful to play here Saturday, opposite side of Razul Douglas, making Kevin King, thankfully, not our number two cornerback. He's more or less going to be like our third or fourth. Green Bay is the only team in the NFL that's undefeated at home, holding an 8-0 record, and Aaron Rodgers is having his second straight MVP season. I'm going to take San Francisco plus six. It's a lot of points in a game. I think it's going to be close between two very good and close friends of Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan. And I like Green Bay's money line as well to finally, once again, Get this monkey off our back of now San Fran in the playoffs, something I was hoping for and wishing for in here in week three and the regular season victory. And a fun fact that I saw on here that I did no research on, so I don't even know if it actually is a fun fact or just a fun statement. Jimmy G comes into this game, never had thrown a pass in weather under 40 degrees. But yes, I know he played in New England. But do we ever see him play in New England in November, December? Wasn't he hurt that one year? That's why Jacoby Brissett was playing. And then he gets traded over to sunny California. All I'm saying, Jimmy G's never thrown anything. 40 degrees, never thrown a pass. That's absurd. I don't know if that's real, but I saw it on the rundown when you were saying it. And 
that's a, an otherworldly statistic. I understand, even though he was in, uh, in the practice facility, it's different in-game. So who knows? But, I mean, it is Lambeau. It is Green Bay. I, I just have a hard time saying that. I'm taking a Jimmy Garoppolo-led team against an Aaron Rodgers-led one. That's where my brain's at. And for the record, this Saturday is a high of 23 and a low of 2 in Green Bay. And it looks like about 50% participation and winds up to 16 miles per hour, not too crazy. Bring them. Snowy Lambeau, those Cali boys, redemption, revenge for the NFC Championship game two years ago. Come on, LaFleur, get your boys ready. Next game that we have here on the slate, the Los Angeles Rams. Huh, funny, both the California teams are traveling out east here this week in the NFC. Traveling to Raymond James Stadium with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, our three-point favorites in the over-under is set at 48. It's Tom Brady in the playoffs. Hard to bet against this man, even with all the injuries that have seemed to be happening. If it was before this playoff game or what we saw sustained in the playoff game between Tristan Wirfs and he had Ryan Jensen, his right tackle, and his center. The Rams have been playing great defensively. So Matt Stafford's going to yet again be the deciding factor here. In his last five games, just averaging 238 yards, 10 touchdowns, and he has nine turnovers, eight interceptions with one fumble lost. So even with the weaponry that this offense has, they're just not getting it done, but their defense is, is just playing. And yes, I know I look stupid after what you saw here on the Monday night game. It's not consistent enough. People seem to not remember the 2019 game against the Taylor Huntley-led Ravens that they were losing for most of that game. Matt Stafford's not playing well, but this defense is playing well enough that Matt Stafford could play this poorly. If NAD is going to give the Bucs a problem, it's going to be this one. The Buccaneers are expecting Wurtz and Jensen to play here. I don't care. You can't be 50. You can't be anything less than 90% if you're going up against Aaron Donald. I like the Rams at plus three, but at the end of the day, it's Tom Brady. I'm taking that money line for the Buccaneers for a rematch of the NFC Championship game. The Rams looked really good on Monday, but how could anybody in the world bet against the Bucs right now? Neither of these teams have been perfect this year by any stretch and had periods of time where they hardly looked like playoff teams, let alone Super Bowl contenders. But doesn't it kind of feel like the Bucs' problems were much less serious? They kind of seem more bored at times this year. And when you consider how many guys they brought back from last year, it's really no surprise that they may get bored, especially in that division. It was over in August before we did our preview show. And the Rams, however, on the other side, credit to them for winning that crazy division. But their problems, they feel a little bit more fundamental. They lost Robert Woods midseason, and even though they came on late, their offense is dependent on Cooper Cup's production. Is Odell Beckham Jr. or Tyler Higby ready to have the game of their life if Cup is limited? I really don't see it. They went 2-5 this season against playoff teams, like I said earlier. One of their wins, though, like we said before, you guessed it, Tampa Bay in Week 3. Really excited for this matchup. It should be fun. But what do you say, Stephen? We throw it into our final game of the week. And this is actually fun here because you and I, it's a natural little disagreement. You've been very low on the Chiefs all year. I have been very low on the Bills all year. One of them is going to make us look dumb. I'm hoping it's me. I'll give you my reason first. I'll hear yours, and then maybe we can talk a little bit of a friendly wager on this one. But Isaac, you would assume I have the Chiefs minus their one and a half. This feels a lot like the AFC Championship game. And food for thought, I guess, before I give you a pick, like I said before, if the Jaguars had simply lost to the Bills, this game would be at Orchard Park. And because it's at Arrowhead, I think I'm leaning Chiefs. Every way I look at this game, it feels extremely tight. So I'm big on experience and even bigger on the intangibles. The mental side of football is something most fans are aware of, whether they mean to be or not. And the guys in these locker room are human. The players and the coaches, they feel the same kind of pressure we do sometimes as fans. This is air quote for you guys. We haven't been to the AFC Championship game since 94. Patrick Mahomes is better than Josh Allen. Reed's a better coach. They may not believe these things in Buffalo right now, but they're going to have a little bit of creeping doubt once something goes wrong, especially in the second half of this game. The Chiefs know they are capable of winning the Super Bowl. Sure, they have their own pressure with how lofty their expectations are, but they aren't the same kind of doubt. I'm putting my money on the proven horse. If Buffalo wins, 
All my doubts are gone. I'm an idiot. I'm ready to go through a table. But until then, I'm sticking to what we know. And that is KC minus one and a half in the money line. The Chiefs have looked awesome towards the tail end of this the tail end of this season leading into the playoffs. This offense is getting more dangerous as the years go on. I know we spoke about it in the recap segment. But Buffalo is easily going to be the toughest defense that they have played during that stretch. Maybe I can compare it to a Denver. I don't want to go that far. But they just dismantled the Pittsburgh Steelers not once but twice and how great that defense is, at least with T.J. Watt. Buffalo was hungry. They just beat their division rival not once but twice over a three-week span in the New England Patriots. Talk about getting a monkey off your back. That thing has been yelling in your ear for the better half of two decades and even a little bit longer. So having that off there is just gaining and giving this team so much confidence. And yes, with the Bills winning 38-20 to in the first matchup this year, it's very hard to go back to Arrowhead and beat that same team. I don't think they're going to win by 18, but I'm taking Buffalo plus one and a half. I'm taking their money line. The battle... Of these quarterbacks coming off five touchdown games, Josh Allen's going to come out on top. He's going to torch that Kansas City defense. Kansas City's going to go home. People are going to cry. The bat, Wally. I'm taking the Bills. You're taking the Chiefs. Loser has to wear the rival's jersey first matchup next year. And we have DH Gate. will buy DH Gate jerseys for the player that you either hate the most or one that you're like, that would actually be kind of a dope jersey. I'll let this one slide. Wait, so you're suggesting that for opening week, the loser has to wear, for me in that case, ironically, I'm rooting for the Chiefs so I don't have to wear a Chiefs jersey and you're a Bears jersey? So you'll wear, if if I win, you're wearing a Chiefs jersey in the first Chiefs-Raiders matchup. You know, I if we're doing DH gate or whatever and getting cheap jersey, wouldn't it make more sense that if the loser has to get for you it would be a Patrick Mahomes Chief jersey, or I have to get a Josh Allen Bills jersey and wear that. I feel like that would be almost more fitting. No, I actually really wouldn't mind a Pat Mahomes jersey. That'd be cool. I think it'd be more insulting that if I lose and I have to wear a fucking Mitch Trubisky Chicago Bears jersey in the first Packer Bears game of 2022. All right, if we're doing this, if we're doing this, I want the winner to be able to pick the other player's Rival player jersey. It can be past, present, no like made up names. But like, for instance, if I wanted to get you a a William Perry jersey, or if I wanted to get you a Walter Payton jersey, something like that, those would be, except that would be one that's actually cool to have. So I want to do that. that. No, yeah. Like, yeah, I have to be miserable. That's fine. Like 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 a Kyle Orton, like a fucking Rex Grossman. See, there you go. Now we're, now we're getting somewhere. Because then we can have a little bit of fun with, uh, or I'm trying to even think of like, ooh, for you, what about like a Danny Trevathan jersey? Fuck, I kind of like Danny Trevathan. Oh, really? Even after the Devontae Adams hit a few years ago, I thought that maybe you guys would, he'd be like target number one. No, he's no Vontaze perfect. Players are going to happen like that. You know I'm getting you a Tony Gonzalez jersey. But that's kind of like what we were saying with Walter Payton or William Perry. Like, that's actually a cool one because Tony Gonzalez is one of the best tight ends of all time. You want to, like, What about Dante me. Hall? Ooh, that'd be good. And then maybe you Ooh, for Devin like Hester. A, uh... Oh, fuck. That'd... See, that'd be kind of cool to have a Devin Hester jersey. See, that's what I'm saying. We're just, like, naming all... we're just naming all the good players on these teams. What about Jamal Charles? You had to hate that, dude. Yeah, but again, like... Dude literally was different for like three or four years. Okay, who's your who's your most hated Chiefs? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, wait. Okay, for the record, too, going back, this is week one that we're wearing these jerseys next year, correct? Bitch, no. The first matchup against your rival. See, you I, can't, I don't know if I can wear a Chiefs rival. jersey during the, the Raiders game. I don't think I have that in. That's the fucking... That's the point of the bet, Wally. I know. I don't know if it's it got that me. I don't know if oh, I have it Oh, you're a bet. fucking pussy. Uh, see, I'd wear week one. Make it from like one o'clock to the end of the Sunday night football game. I'd wear that week one. You're backing out. You're talking a big game. And now I give you this. I present you a jet. Like, I want to wear a fucking Bears jersey. But I'll do it for the sake of the show and the bet. 
Some of men, and we shook virtually, kind of, not really, but yeah. I was gonna say, when did this virtual handshake take place? I don't know, man. Your camera must be bugging out. Oh my god! So I will agree to this that we will definitely. Oh my god, this is so tricky because I don't want to be wearing like where who where am I at? If I'm in my basement, it's one thing. If I'm out in public and people have to see me in that hideous red, I don't think I can do it. Come on. You ate a impossible Whopper for a week. You'll have to wear this for three hours. I'll, I'll get you two so you can just rip it and burn it once the game is over. And then you can just have a backup one. Like, this actually was a pretty cool jersey. Thanks. DHgate.com, guys. If you don't go to it, I know we said no free ads. Wally, he's a real stickler for that. Hey, no free ads. Definitely $20 real stitched jerseys. They're money. I got a Bakhtiari. I got a Blake Martinez. They're cash. Can't really tell the difference. Why spend three hundred dollars on that? DHgate.com, fellas and ladies. God, see, I the Impossible Whopper. That sounds fun right now. The three hours somehow seems harder to me than doing like going out of the house, going to BK five times in a week. Like I literally, or seven times, I guess it was. Okay, that's why it would suck, and that's why it'd be. That's why it's a good bet. If we're tr- if you're if you're really truly about the Chiefs minus one and a half a money line, then what, then what are you worried about? I'll do it. I know you're. I know that's not that's not I'll the question. No, I'm fish- that's not the answer I'm fishing for. I already know that you're gonna do it. I well, this is being recorded, which is essentially just as good as a contract. Yeah, I know, and they're they're on the same side because they're all gonna be sitting at home and you're like, oh man, this guy. Oh, see, oh, do I? This is. At least then I can be like, hey, the Chiefs lost a playoff game. That's why I'm wearing this jersey. And then on and then like the icing on top of the cake, it's like cool. I know, I I'll, it will Stephen be in goodwill the next jersey. You know, you know, you know Fonz is gonna be pumped about this bet. He's gonna be texting me more than you probably. If I lose this bet, I'm literally going to be buried in a bunker for three hours during that game, hidden away. That's the best way I can describe how this is going to work. But anyways, I, I got nothing else. I'll, I'll, I'll shake I'm on gonna, it virtually. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you a Chad Henney Chiefs jersey. Not only is he Kansas City, he's a Go Michigan to hell. boy. There it is. Is this how the kicker and the water boy felt? That's my bitch. That's fine. I'll think of one for you so that when we come back next week, oh, it's going to be good. It'll be a fun reveal. I won't even tell you until we're on the show next week. I call your bluff. We'll find out Sunday night. And with that, that's going to bring us to yet another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms on Instagram and Facebook at Loss of Down and Twitter down underscore loss. I am your host, Stephen Weed, my co-host, my man who makes this podcast take Mr. Wally Lukashensky. Do you have any parting words for the listeners? Two brief ones for you, and then I'll be letting you guys on your way. While we were recording tonight, there's actually been a tweet from Bruce Feldman. Sources inside Michigan think that Jim Harbaugh would take the Las Vegas Raiders job if he was offered. So I'll either be miserable for a few days and then get over it or just really miserable. Really rough couple sports months for me. But my second thing for you and my final thing for you is happy birthday to our very own Stephen Weed. Sunday for that game. What is it going to be? Is that big old 28? Wow. What a what a guy. Uh, game Saturday, so hopefully he doesn't. Oh, yeah, that's ruin right. My Thank God. On yeah. Sunday. Uh, uh, big old 2 9. So it's, I'm right in that middle area where no one, not that everyone, anyone really gives a shit about me, but 29, definitely no one's going to give a shit about me. No, that's perfect, though. So let's hopefully be talking on Sunday, watching that guy. Bills game. Oh, dude, I'm looking guy. out. I'm looking out Sunday. We're going to be watching that Bills game, and there's going to be a lot on the line. So, for what it's worth, we're out here. And if you guys are true listeners, true friends, just go ahead at Stephen underscore Weed, S-T-E-P-H-A-N underscore Weed, and just throw me a few bucks for a beer on Venmo. I definitely, uh, it, it will definitely go to a good spot. I'm just saying, I love free money. Don't want to be greedy, but why the fuck not? Maybe I'll get tips, and I can feel like, just feel like, like the pretty girl for once at the ball that everyone wants to buy a drink for. Until next week, hopefully the roles are not switched and Wally is just torturing me on here to start the episode. 
Let's go Packers. Let's go Bills. I cannot wait to put a Chad anything as possible jersey on you after next week. Make sure you Venmo Steven because these jerseys aren't cheap, fellas. But they are. I literally promoted them as cheap. They're DH gate. I don't know. Maybe maybe you're hurting for money. Uh, maybe you, they should Venmo you so that you can buy your Bears jersey anyways. So it says here that she was hurting for a squirting. She was. I remember her. That's a great way to wrap up. <laughs> Until next week when we will have our final four. No, I'm fucking tripping. Right? NFC yeah, final four. Yeah. And we will be back next week with our final four and Wally in some nice red threads. I'm never I'm gonna bother you all weekend about this. Just triple X, right? I'm just gonna go ahead and I'm just gonna go ahead and buy it, make it a lot easier for you. Go pack go, happy 29th, it's 2x. Thin Wally's coming back 2022. Well, you DH gate. If they're coming from China. They cut so little, true. They, they cut them a little bit slimmer. I you gotta get the 3x just in case. So hey, true. Worst, you know, worst case uh, Ontario. If it doesn't uh, doesn't fit, you can throw a hoodie underneath. And that and that'll be nice. God, not to mention if I even have this jersey, I kinda hope it's small. Less body room. Also, what better Kenny? Trailer Park Boys is way better. Go to hell. No, I will I will be waiting for a nice lukewarm beer in hand with you there, bud. Figure it out.